today on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast in our Week in IndyCar guest episode. Who do we have? Well, we have the guy who stomped a mud hole at everybody on Sunday at the Honda Indy 200 at Mid-Ohio. That would be Andretti Autosports. Mighty fine driver by the name of Colton Herta. We should also throw in a with Harding, with Steinbrenner, with all kinds of people in that number 88 Honda. There you go. How you doing, my man? I'm doing good. Just got home last night and got to go on the simulator to do some prep work for NDGP. So I think it's a place that maybe we lacked a little bit from, from the beginning of the year. So I'm looking forward to see what we can do uh, in a few weeks' time there. Let's say thank you, as always, to our great, great friends of the Justice Brothers. Cooper Tires, for sure. Also, we got to say a lot of love for Bell Racing Helmets USA. I know that you sport one of their lids. And also the folks who bring you to life in the form of about 17 different stickers and cartoon versions, torontomotorsports.com. So all kinds nice. of love right there. So I know this is going to come as a surprise, Colton. You start on pole. You win the race. You absolutely dominate on Sunday. What kind of questions do we have to uh, start off? Well, we can either go that route or we can get into the spicy aspect of lap one, heading down the end of that beautiful straight where you take the uh, green flag. I have heard rumor on the internet that not everything got through cleanly and the guy who was starting next to you on the front row might have turned into my beloved golden bowling ball. Um, I can tell you for sure that his team owner was vocal, at least through email this morning, defending his driver. Uh, you've had folks who've defended you also blamed you. Um, how do you respond to criticism? You squeeze Frucci at the start. Jamie Rowe says also mentioned how much she loved taking a photo with you and your dad uh, with his daughter, Mia, uh, her birthday being last Friday or this coming Friday was wondering if you could wish her a happy birthday. So a lot of stuff there together with Jamie Rowe's daughter, Mia, and also questions as to whether you should be defending yourself for being a really bad and mean driver and ruining Santino's day and some other driver's day. Uh, I guess first off, happy birthday, Mia. It was nice. I remember, uh, yeah, meeting them last year at Mid-Ohio. So, um, But for the Santino thing, I think racing hard, obviously. Um, and... From my view, a pretty low percentage chance for him. Um, obviously, as a start, you want to make up spots, cold tires. But, um, you know, I think, yeah, low, low percentage move by him, I think, in terms of, of getting pushed off the circuit or not. You see it 10 minutes later um, on, on the restart, Dixon did the same thing to Hunter Ray, but he backed out of it. So I think... Uh, yeah, I think it's a normal thing to do in that corner. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's awesome that we, we have a, a committed fan base that will share their opinion, whether I, I agree with it or not on Twitter. But it's awesome to see the, the fire in the IndyCar fans that, that, that want to kind of debate the whole subject. So, um, yeah, I don't mind getting dug into on Twitter. It's, it's all part of it. And, and uh, you know, I, I think... It was it was a move that that a lot of guys have made, but it just came out differently with the aggression that Santino had towards it sitting on the outside there. But you know, I, I think it's it's kind of in the past, and obviously, uh, I don't think I'd do anything different if I had to do it again tomorrow. And and obviously, raising for the win it, it changes the stakes a little bit. Andretti hasn't had a win this year, 
and we really needed a good result, so I was going to make sure that I got it for him. couple of follow-ups here. I know that uh, your comments post-race uh, where you said uh, he just wanted to stick to the outside, so you had to put him off. I understood what you meant by that. I think that was taken yeah, by... Worded, I think it was worded poorly by me. I think I was kind of super energized by the wind, but yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the that certainly seemed to arm uh, the folks at Dale Coin Racing and uh, Santino's supporters that you were the committer of a foul and an evil doer. Um, did you guys make contact, first of all? And I have a theory that I just wrote about that if this were a teammate of yours or a Dixon, a new garden, a somebody that you've raced with trust might even say, have respect for not saying you would let them by. You might have their left rear tire hanging off the road with only one inch on the tarmac. But if this were a different driver, do you think you might've, uh, a driver you're more accustomed to racing with fairly? Well, you might've reacted a tiny bit different. Um, Yes and no. I think it's it's always tough. I think, obviously, Santino's done some stuff. To, well, I guess to start it off with, no, I never made contact with him, and he was loose. So even if I gave him room, I'm not 100% sure if he would have made the corner or not. Uh, maybe he would have just gone half in the grass and be able to come on back on. But uh, it seemed like for sure he was going to at least drop some wheels. And with the, with the grass being wet, uh, seemed like maybe it would have taken him off the line anyways. Um, for the question of like the Dixon Hunter Ray thing, um, I think you, you race how, how others race you. Right. And I think some stuff in the past with Santino, I think a lot of people are like, Oh, you should wait for the, for the, uh, for the comeback that Santino is going to have for you. But you know, he's done some stuff in the past to me that, uh, I didn't like. So, um, and I think it, it kind of bit him, but, you know, I, I don't try to race dirty like that. Obviously, I was I was loose anyways, so I was trying to carry the speed and, and keep the, the, the car under me um, on the cold tires. But, yeah, I think it, it's different. I think it's different with different people. I don't think Dixon would put himself in a position to, to be in that position at all, or Hunter Ray or any of those guys. So, um, yeah, it's just hard racing, you know. I think that's why people like IndyCar too, right? Because we leave it all on the track and... and uh, yeah, it's solid as hard racing. So you being at attached to many things associated with many things, winning now your third race, helping Andretti Autosport to uh, break their duck this year, get into uh, victory lane for the first time. Got a couple of questions in and around that area, but we need to start with the most prescient one tacos, victory tacos. Yeah. We got a lot of questions, folks wanting to know what kind of tacos were consumed. Ryan Churcher says, please don't say it was Taco Bell again. We have others asking about your favorite form again. And we do this every time you're on, but I realize that you pick up new fans who learn about this story. And so every episode, there's a taco discussion happening. We may as well do it up front. Hard shell, soft shell, uh, steak, chicken. Tell folks about, uh, and then also... The where the heck do you find high-quality tacos in Lexington, Ohio, or similar on a Sunday comes through. So tell us the uh, the Sunday night victory celebration with tacos and uh, preferences and what you found. Well, it didn't actually happen 
Sun or Sunday night, but I I still don't think it fully has happened yet because I was in the I had to drive back to Indy and, and to your point yes I there might be good tacos in Lexington but I have not found a place that has them so uh, I I just drove home to well I drove to Indy um, and uh, I had obviously like I said earlier I had the simulator so they actually brought me uh, Cadoba to the simulator <laughs> but that's that's yeah. But it was, it was a nice gesture, but those aren't victory tacos. But so I, uh, I'm in Los Angeles now and, um, there's a taco truck called Juan Jimenez that's, uh, out here that I really enjoy going to. So I'll probably do that. And it's like a buck a taco and it's, I'll, I'll do probably Al Pastor and then it comes with, uh, salsa, uh cilantro and onions but i don't like raw onions so i don't get the onions and then i add cheese even though that's kind of against the traditional mexican street taco um but that's probably the taco that i will have and that will probably happen after this phone call oh uh, you are a man after my heart al pastor that's absolutely the number one most perfect answer ever uh, yeah. I do like the, the raw diced onions, so that's a difference, but the cilantro as well. I mean, you, you, you've nailed all the stuff here for sure. Uh, we did have a late bonus question come in. Um, person says, hi, Colton, longtime fan. Is the McDonald's number nine or victory tacos a better post-race meal? Some guy, Nathan, O'Rour- <laughs> Nathan O'Rourke, I think is his name. Never heard of him before. Yeah, that's actually what I had. I, I got mcdonald's i had like i think i had five cheese four cheeseburgers and a 10 piece chicken nugget that's how much that's how physical mid ohio is is i weigh 140 pounds and i was able to take down all of that and not have a problem um so yeah if if people don't know that's nathan o'rourke that's my engineer who's been my engineer the past year and a half and hopefully for the long foreseeable future. So do you pull up to the McDonald's drive through Are you by yourself? And when you order that whole thing, does the person at the window like kind of crane out and look into the rest of the car to see if they can find more people and then realize, like, holy crap, that's just for him? I feel like they must be like, oh, he's, he's picking it up for, for more people or something. <laughs> but no, that's that's like the ultimate meal after the race is, is you have to have something greasy and kind of gross and you have to have a lot of it. I love it. And then the, the mention of the dollar tacos nearby you. Don't ever give me the address because I'll gain 50 pounds in one day. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's get to uh, some serious-ish questions. Uh, Harishi Desponde, uh, or Desponde, I should say, says, Hey, Colton, can you talk about the challenge of a wet-ish qualifying session in a dry race? Said, seems like the car was set up to handle both situations perfectly. Also asks maybe the lingering question on the season, if you can drill it in a little bit. He says, did the Andretti team discover something setup-wise? that led to their first dominance of the year on Sunday. Um, I, Sorry, what was the start of that question? Uh, talking about wet-ish qualifying, dry race, and how okay. you seem to find a setup that really worked in both. Yeah, so I think setup-wise, um, we knew it was going to be a dry race, and, and everybody knew that. So, so you kind of stick with your uh, dry setup, because with how these double headers work there's actually like a park ferme so you can't change anything between qualifying and the race um and and that way the the guys aren't like thrashing the car together and and, 
and trying to get the car together when it really probably shouldn't be ready and stuff. So, um, so yeah, I think everybody's on a dry setup. Uh, and, and from that aspect, it was a very drying track. And, and actually, I have to give Project Santino because that was a very good lap that he did uh, in, in the wet. And I was actually very surprised by the time and, and something like three seconds faster. So um, that was a very good lap. And, and so to beat that was, was going to be challenging. Uh, and, and it wasn't challenging because it was, it was uh, there's more grip and stuff. It was challenging because it was drier and the tires were getting chewed up when we were out there. Um, and so you're kind of searching for water, even though we only got two laps in the end. Um, it was kind of enough to get the braking markers down and, and, and decide when I need to brake and how much speed to carry in the corner, what gears to use. Uh, and, and we had a pretty good lap there at the end. But by the end of that thing, that the tires were completely chewed up and, and really unusable just after two laps. Got a question here as well on the team's rise. Uh, not only here from Harishi, a few others also asked, hey, wow, we've seen the team run well this year, but we haven't seen front-running pace. Was there anything, was it good fortune and luck, do you think, that this weekend in general, knowing that Rossi was on the podium on Saturday too, mm-hmm. was this, you know, hey, we just spun the wheel of fortune and got it, or do you think the team made a, a pretty significant leap uh, heading back to road and street courses where that outright pace maybe wasn't there the beginning of the year. Yeah, I think it was it was slow movement movement forward, and I think you could kind of start to see it at, at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, the cars were very fast there, and that was really the first time that we had like front running dominant pace. Um, although the race didn't go as as everybody planned, we had a really good car. Um, and I think to at the beginning of the year, obviously we weren't where we needed to be. Um, the one lap pace was, was there, uh, just the race pace was not, and, and trying to keep the tires underneath us was, wasn't great. Um, so once we kind of, we kind of found something after Road America going into the Indy 500 that, that we thought was good. I actually found something, uh, Sunday on, on Road America for qualifying. We made a change that would it's actually really good that we that we didn't think would work, but it, it worked phenomenally. Uh, so I, I we did that, and then it kind of turned the gears. We didn't have a great race Sunday at Road America, and then obviously Indy G, Indy Indianapolis was really good from pace wise, uh, and then Gateway after that we were very strong again, um, and and then it kind of just kind of snowballed, and then what we found was actually kind of relevant for road course and short ovals. Um, so yeah, that was exciting. And, and obviously it gives us a lot more confidence going into the Indy GP later this month. So, uh, but yes, we did find something and obviously it did kind of click for everybody. I love it. Got one more rainish tire question here from Mark, whose Twitter handle, I love these cause I never know what the hell they mean at MMB nine, 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 nine. Uh, Mark asks <laughs> just in case this question did not make it through. Uh, curious how Colton would compare driving an Indy car in the wet versus other cars he's experienced in wet conditions. Talking about IMSA mainly, uh, says the Indy car looks incredibly difficult to handle in the wet. Curious if that's a case of rain tire difference that you've experienced between those used in open wheel versus sports cars. Um, I think probably the biggest difference is, is traction and stability control on the on the GT cars. Um, and and so that obviously helps a lot on power down where you saw in qualifying most of the guys are having the problems in the indy car um and and no sort of 
help with that in the indie car there's no traction control or anything of that sort so um yeah i think that's probably the main difference obviously the tires are are very different i i think that there's more grip in the corners in the in with the michelins that we run in in gtlm uh and and probably the straight line braking and and on power stability for the indy car is a lot better um tire wise so i think that's probably the main differences how you drive them is fairly similar i think in indy car you kind of v it off a little bit more because you have that bit more power um and and so you kind of want to get straighter faster and get on the throttle as soon as possible because that's where you're going to make the time especially in the wet um so there's a few little driving differences and, and a few differences in the tire but uh i think when you're right, right driving in the rain it, it's all about kind of getting your brake point right to where you can just slide out to the edge of the track without going over the limit and it's even more dangerous and wet right because you're all the way on the edge of the track so if you go over that that little bit you're in the grass and grass is wet and you're in the wall so um there's there's definitely some little things that you can do in each car but for the for the most part it's very similar i think look at that a well-considered answer uh let's see jeremiah morell good friend of the show asks colden self-assessment what grade would you give yourself so far this year and would you say your expectations uh for your individual performance uh, have met expectations or not uh i'd probably give myself B, B plus. Um, and I think there's some stuff that I could handle better, um, on and off the track. Um, but you know, I think overall the pace has been there, uh, driving wise, there's been a few things, obviously Iowa wasn't ideal, uh, and that kind of knocked us out of the championship hunt. Um, because we were looking for, for two good races there in Iowa, and it just didn't happen. But every other race, I think we pretty much, I think we finished in the top 10 in every other race, actually. So that's that's really nice. And we've had a lot of top fives this year and, and a lot of fourth and fifth places. And finally, we got that win. Um, so we kind of need to, going into the end of this year and, and looking forward to next year, we kind of need to tone that down with, with not only finishing in sub, you need to, kind of turn your top five finishes into top six seven finishes and and you need to turn those top five finishes into podiums and uh those eventual podiums when you get them you need to turn those into wins to be really a championship caliber driver little interesting factoid meaningless of course because you're going to move farther up this list but with three indycar wins now uh (laughs) you have more i'll just rattle off some names lewis chevrolet so that's pretty amazing uh, Robbie Buell, uh, not my brother, Scott Pruitt. Uh, let's see. Well, your teammate, Marco Andretti. Uh, who else? Roberto Moreno, Christian Fittipaldi, Robbie Gordon. Uh, I mean, and there are more and more and more, but it's just amazing to think that while three is a, a number you'd love to be tripled by now, uh, yeah. there, there's a lot of folks that we think of. Uh, that I are, think I'm, I'm tied with Tony Stewart and Buddy Rice. Jeez. So, you guys that you think are pretty successful and yeah, look out, so. suckers! Max Pappas, yeah, how's this? You're tied with Max Pappas, race steward. Go. If he gives you any grief or anything, just say, "Look, pal, 
you certainly aren't any better than I am. Who the hell are you to tell me anything? He'd love that, I'm sure. Oh, no. Yeah. Let, let Max being challenged by somebody? No, he wouldn't push back at all. Uh, <laughs> let's go to our pal Dan Gallagher. He says, Colton, when you're having a bad day and you're stuck in traffic, do you ever step back and decide to focus on a specific area of your racecraft to hone in on? That's an interesting one. Mm. I think you kind of just take things as they come. So basically with how the IndyCar package works, I think you're either fast enough where you know you can overtake or um, you're not fast enough to overtake. So you're kind of in the position where I'm going to save fuel and have the possibility of undercutting. But now I also have the possibility of overcutting and going a lap longer, um, which we saw was very effective at Gateway. Uh, and and again, was very effective at Mid-Ohio. If guys could get out of the way, uh, those tires took a little while to get up to temperature. They're a little bit stiffer this year with the aero screen uh, and, and adding load into the car. So the tires have to be a little stiffer. So they're taking a little longer to get up to speed. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's probably the biggest thing. I don't think you kind of decide, like, oh, I'm going to just work on this. Obviously, you're trying everything that you can to either get by the guy or save the fuel to get by him in the pits. I should also throw in your old man four wins. So your hunt that's who you're hunting for next with your next there you victory, go. Yeah, right? That's the thing. Put him out of the house. Get it by the end of the year. You're you're done, old man. Your career's nothing. <laughs> um as always, got a couple <clears throat> questions from folks inquiring about that uh that father of yours, one of uh the, the finer folks in the paddock. Um you get questions a lot of times uh when you're on the show about relying on advice and where does your father weigh into things. Um, mm-hmm. says Steve Myers here says curious knowing that the Andretti team hasn't had the, the happiest of year so far, if you've lent, uh, or leaned more on your dad's advice or whatever, uh, this year, while things haven't been going as smoothly as possible, or if that's not a thing. It definitely is. Um, you know, I think from driving aspect wise, there's a few things that he can like kind of general knowledge, but driving this car uh, is so different to the cars that he used to drive um, and, and how much power they had back in the day. And, and, and the tires are completely different and the downforce levels are completely different. Um, so there's too much from actual, like, you know, I think you should be doing this in this corner because that's what we did in 1998. So I think it, it's not that he's not doing that with me, but kind of general advice, like, Oh, Hey, you remember like how the race goes here and, and this is a track position race and uh kind of more general aspects of racing um and then obviously just how to how to handle yourself with with how sometimes you don't have the best car and, and we've seen that this year sometimes we, we just at the beginning of the year we just didn't have the best car and how to get the most out of it and what should be going through my mind during the race and Obviously, he knows a lot with, with the race strategy and everything that's going on with, with his past. And obviously, with what he's doing now, he, he knows everything. So um, I think it's really nice. And then be able to kind of debrief with him after the race on, on how these sort of things are going and how the races seem to be going. And remember last year when this happened and, and kind of general stuff like that. Would love to uh, see you here couple years hopefully after you've earned tons of money won the 500 just cash falling out of your pockets i think we need to see uh pick the exact year in the late 90s but a a shell renard uh 
maybe who knows honda cosworth somebody will uh help you with a a period correct motor to put in the back i want to see you do some hardcore lapping in one of your dad's old cart rockets that would i would be... love to they're, they're still out there somewhere i just saw a video of some guy doing like a hill climb in adrian fernandez's car so <laughs> the cars are still out there just got to track them down i'm just thinking you going out to the garage girlfriend hitting the starter at the back off you go man just go play and have fun um <laughs> kick some rocks up at her yeah leave. totally <laughs> hey, go out and come back single um <laughs> justin sembler asks colton how much of your dad's career do you remember and also was curious was there a point when you knew that you wanted to follow in his footsteps again I know you answer this stuff all the time, but I'm, I'm appreciative of newer fans who are wanting to get to know you. No, yeah, for sure. Um, so for, I think I didn't really like kind of grasp everything until maybe I was about five years old. So that would have been 2005. So um, kind of at the very end of my, my father's career. But I, I do remember a lot going to the racetrack and, um, and, and a lot of that aspect. And actually, I still remember a lot of the guys and what they looked like back then that are still working at Andretti, which is a lot of them. So, um, yeah, I think from, from the early days is probably 2005 that I remember most. And, um, I remember him being, I think it was fourth at the Indy 500 or third in 2005 or 2006, maybe it was 2004. Um, so I actually remember that. And I think I, I can't remember like a, a, like a moment that I was like, Oh, I, I want to become a race car driver, but, but just for kind of like, as long as I could remember kind of always wanting to be, be able to do what, what he did. Um, and I always loved the, the kind of bond between the racing drivers and the fans and IndyCar and, and, uh, paddock being so open to everybody and that whole aspect, I always kind of loved it. So, uh, I always wanted to do that and I always really wanted to be an IndyCar driver. That's a pretty cool thing when you get asked in first grade what your dad does, and you're like, you know, race car. Yeah, he was. They would always have like, a, like career day, and they'd always have him come in and talk to the class and stuff. And it was like, it was a very proud moment for me. I instantly became the coolest kid in class. Show and tell, Dad. I mean, that's pretty <laughs> darn awesome, right? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Got a. Uh, handful of other questions we can rattle through pretty quickly some of these are callbacks to previous episodes uh william matson asks and this is of course speaking to someone who won the uh, rolex 24 daytona in class with the bmw team rll effort colton how many times have you dramatically checked the time on your rolex when you're uh, standing around talking to other indy car drivers no <laughs> yeah no i actually don't really wear that too often I've worn it a few times just to say that I have, but it's kind of it's in the trophy case now. And um, if I win, if I win another one, which hopefully I can, and hopefully I can soon with BMW, um, I, I I would love to uh, be able to wear it, and I can thrash the first one a little bit more, and and then I'll always have a backup. You know the sad thing, when, and I'm glad timing wise things worked out for you when you came into IMSA and then won the race. As you probably know, the first couple years in the reconstituted IMSA, the title sponsor wasn't Rolex. It was their kind of second-tier brand, Tudor. Yeah. So folks got Tudor watches. I can't tell you (laughs) how displeased they were. Let's just say this. 
they sure as hell didn't go into the trophy case. Um, <laughs> yeah, you almost had to print out a card explaining what Tudor was and how it wasn't a $39 watch from Walmart. Um, <laughs> let's see. Sorry, I just threw him under a bus. I can't even afford a Tudor watch, so I don't know who I'm, what I'm talking about here. Uh, just a nice comment from our pal in Holland. This also opens up a little bit of a fun question. It says, uh, no question, just a comment. Glad that you are doing so well, and uh, please Keep speaking your mind. It's good for the sport. That's said by Peter Nutt. He says, and yes, with a little rivalry with our Dutch Renus VK. Yeah, that'd be cool to see as a fan. Looking forward to your future battles with him. So the two of you, obviously, little, you are certainly grumpy in his direction uh, at Gateway and such. There's some other folks here that have asked about driver conflicts and how they get managed. And it's more of a general item, not focusing on Renus. But how do those things go down generally? kind of the policing one another uh, among drivers compared to uh, looking to race control to be your uh, judge and jury and such. How do you guys go about that uh, to try and exchange complaints and beefs, but I would imagine also try and maybe reconcile things? Yeah, I mean, you never want to be come at a guy and and be super mad at him and and at the throat with him uh, because – I feel like that's not beneficial for anybody because that's just going to piss him off more, more than you're already pissed off. And then that's just going to lead to even more problems on track. So I think I was in the wrong for the comments I made after the race at gateway, uh, just for the fact that there wasn't any passing. So you kind of had to get it done when you had to get it done. And to be honest, I would have done the same exact thing that he did. I was just in a pissy mood for it. Um, and obviously all the adrenaline and stuff. So, um, but no, I respect Renus a lot, and obviously he's he's doing an amazing job with uh, with the whole aspect of being a rookie, and, and he's running inside the top ten most weekends. So, um, but I think from that aspect, you kind of try to talk. I think Bourdais is actually the nicest guy. After I flat out took him out at Mid Ohio last year, and I was like, man, I, I really messed that up. And and instead of trying to dig into me or anything like that, he's like, I get it, I've done that, and. and just kind of move on and I hope you can treat me with a bit more respect next time. So I think if you, if you kind of, that's kind of, I learned from Bourdais in that aspect that that's how you should handle it. Um, because from that point going on, I respected Bourdais a lot more. Not that I didn't respect him before, but I, I respected him a lot after that and, and always kind of gave him that extra little bit of room, made sure to get all the way out of his way on, on his, on his practice labs when he's on new tires or, or in qualifying and stuff like that. Um, so I think there's definitely ways that you can do it that are right. And then there's definitely ways that you can do it that are wrong and you can make the person upset. And that doesn't really help anybody. Let me throw in a quick follow up here. Cause you might've just blown up my theory altogether after the Renus thing at gateway. I know that after the race you tweeted, you would have done the same thing and such and, you know, kind of call took some things back, if you want to put it that way. Mm-hmm. So a number of folks say, ah, oh, see, Renus did nothing wrong and uh, Colton's walking everything back. I didn't see you walk anything back about hitting one another. Like, was that still a thing where uh, you're like, yeah, I would have done the same thing, but really would have tried to give you that extra bit of room. Was that the lesson to take or do you just take yeah. the whole thing back? Yeah, I think uh, it it would have. He still hit me, and it was still a pretty bad move um, from from like the chopping aspect of it. Um, but you kind of have to understand when there's a race where no one's passing, and you get an opportunity to move up. Um, and, and the point gap from fourth to fifth is is 
good so you know it's a big point gap you want to get those points and you have to be aggressive at that track so um if i were to do it i i would think that i'd leave a little bit more room but it's always hard to say right it's easy to say after the fact what what i would do better but um you know i think if there was a lot more passing i would have not taken back right my remark right like that would have been a, a completely dirty move but with the aspect of how the cars were racing that weekend and how critical you had to get it done uh it's just how the racing was you know you saw takuma and pato go at it and and you know if, if that was any other place and there's passing on the track that would be an awful move but because <clears throat> excuse me because of how it was you had to do it and and I think everybody understood. I was just mad that I got the short end of the stick, and I wasn't. I I was a, being a little, a little bitchy kid about it. And and so yeah. Hashtag little bitchy kid. I see a new yeah. sticker coming from Roger Warwick and TorontoMotorsports.com before the end of the episode here. Uh, all right, let's get to the last couple. So had this year not been a COVID year, had I been able to get to Indianapolis. You and I had discussed on a previous podcast a long time ago, I was going to try and put on a watch party for the movie Driven, which you said mm-hmm. you'd never seen. I've actually I got a poster. It's hanging in my office right now, but it's meant to be for that watch party at Indy. I even bought a uh, cardboard cutout, uh, found it on – actually, I think someone on Facebook had it available of Sylvester Stallone. Uh, in his full driven suit and whatever that is sitting in Robin Miller's house waiting for this. Um, so Tyler Graff follows up and says, Colton, last time you're on, I asked you about the amazing, the amazing racing documentary <laughs> driven. Yes. Have you watched it yet? If so, what did you think? I didn't think anyone could ever match Jimmy Bly's rookie season, but you sure did come down close. Also says congratulations on the win last weekend. So have you seen it yet? Or are you still holding out for this watch party you and I are hoping to do and invite some other people to watch this apparently documentary Tyler references? <laughs> First, thank you for the compliment. And, and uh, I have no clue what that reference references because I still haven't seen it. Yes. I'm waiting for Indy next year Deal. Um, to, to, to be able to, to watch it. We need a projector on the museum. Oh, that would be the, most ideal or we'll see if since they have the new big video board on the back side of the pagoda oh yeah they do i i gotta pull some strings um we gotta make this happen i know we uh, granted i know we could do some good amid the the idiocy to raise some money for uh, riley children's house something we we can turn this into something fun but yeah we, we're gonna make this happen for sure we'll might Definitely. even have a, a taco truck there i don't know we're gonna make it happen Oof. um Last couple here for you, our pal Shauna Oakwood, she's always sending in great stuff, says, Colton, love seeing you being successful. Says, now that you are officially in an Andretti car, is it weird that your dad is Marco's strategist? Any plans to uh, steal him over to your entry someday? Um, So, yeah, uh, we got any kind of theft plans for the old man here? Uh, I think not not right now. Um, You know, I think he's kind of happy kind of working through with Marco and I, I think our formula is working. Um, I would love to work with him in the future. I think he does a tremendous job on the strategy um, and, and always tries to, to, to give uh, Marco the best opportunities. Um, so, and, and yeah, I think uh, he does a great job of that. So I'd love to try to be able to um, 
be in the in the 98 or have him come over at some point in my career but um as of right now there's no plans to the formula is working so try and keep it as it is i think there's an ulterior thing you're not speaking to here and that's you know it's not going to be too long before you have that fourth win and fifth and whatever you might be able to actually charge him to be your strategist. <laughs> hey, you want to come over here to the the uh, you know the hot rod? All right, pal. We we'll, we can talk about it. Uh, you let, let, let's discuss incentives, pal. Um, all right, we got uh, F one music, and then an awesome question to close. John Hollinger says, Colton, rumors pop up at various times over the past several months about possible F one opportunities for you. Is that still something you'd like to do if the right opportunity presented itself? He also asks, have you gotten any advice about Europe in the bigger classes? I know you've obviously spent time racing there, but any of the advice coming from a daily or a Rossi or others who got farther along on the uh, European open wheel ladder? Um, I mean, I think I'd, I'd love to give Formula One a crack. Um, I think it would have to um, mean either being with a top three team or, or incentives of if I do good enough getting to a top three team. So being at like a Toro Rosso or, or maybe a, an alpha or, or something like that for, for a year or two. And if I do good enough, maybe I can move up to a Ferrari or a Red Bull. Um, but, you know, I, I think it, it's tough because I don't have the super license points. Um, but who knows, maybe in this next year or two, if I finish good enough in the championship, it'll get me close enough um, to, to where maybe teams will consider me. I think it'd be awesome. I think um, this is one of the markets that, that kind of F1, F1 lacks. That's a huge market. Um, so, you know, I think you can kind of see the TV numbers in the U.S. Aren't, aren't actually amazing for what you would think Formula One would get. Um, so I, I think if having that, that U.S. driver can kind of push the market forward and, uh, and kind of drive the market, I think it'd be very beneficial for Formula One. Um, but I'm perfectly happy driving Indy cars for the rest of my career if that's what happens or and doing the endurance races with, with BMW or, or whoever it might be in the future um, in IMSA. So, yeah, I think uh, – I'd be happy going either way. I'd love to give it a shot. I think it'd be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Um, but if I don't, I think I'm going to be just fine and, and enjoy driving Indy cars just as much as, as I enjoy being in a Formula 1 paddock. I'd, I'd say that's a perfect answer right there. Uh, two on music, and then our final question. This comes from a certain guy who you might know who kind of helped steer a certain mayor of Hinchtown, Don Rohr asks if you could play drums in any band besides your own what would it be um i think kind of a cool aspect i don't know if you've ever heard of this band uh they're called king gizzard and the lizard wizards uh, i haven't okay well they're they're an awesome band and they actually have two drummers um that that when they play they sit face to face and they just stare at each other the whole time and play in unison the whole time and I think that's a really cool aspect that I'd love to, I would love to try that uh, and playing with another drummer and trying to keep the same tempo. And um, I think it'd be, it'd be something really cool. They also make amazing music. So if you want to check them out, they're pretty awesome. King Lizard and the something gizzard. What is it again? <laughs> King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizards. There we go. Uh, of course. Would they be from California? I don't know where they're from. 
It sounds like a very Californian thing. So I'm, Cal I'm sure at that. A lot, a lot of those bands are from out here. So yeah. I'm, I'm sure. Uh, Laura Ann asks, Colton, while I'm old enough to be your mom, I'm still a punk rock kid at heart. She says, I've listened to your band, The Zibs, and the group reminds me of a lot of amazing garage bands of the past. She says, that's a good thing. She closes by saying, what groups do you enjoy listening to and what inspires you creatively? Um, so I think uh, we kind of play garage rock, but I was always into kind of like 80s hardcore punk um, and, and specifically West Coast bands. So, so guys like, like, um, X or, um, I was also into like DC stuff. So minor threat and, and, uh, and bad brains. I love the circle jerks. Keith Morris is awesome. He's also in a band now called off exclamation point, uh, which is, uh, so cool. It's still kind of like that eighties heart, uh, hardcore feel, but obviously they make music now. So um, and still play, I believe. So it'd be awesome to see Keith Morris. I just saw the Dickies right before the pandemic. That wow. was the last that was the last band that I saw before the pandemic. So it was awesome to see them. Um and yeah, I think always kind of drew drumming inspiration from eighties hardcore bands and I like playing fast and, and loud and hard like they do. Um but you know, I think from from the the aspect that we play, I think a lot of my band members are into bands that are kind of like alternative or more garage rock like ty siegel or or the band that i just mentioned king gizzard and lizard wizards but you know i i I like all types of rock you know all the way to 60s with hermits hermits and kinks and stuff so uh you know it's kind of hard to to listen to live music that i won't like quick follow-up here so your dad was on the show i don't know a month or two ago and we spoke music i mentioned that every time my wife and i get in the car and pull out from the garage and get the Sirius XM signal for uh, <laughs> channel 33, which is the kind of new wave channel. The cure mm-hmm. always comes on or the Smiths. And I can't really stand the cure Longtime fan of the Smiths. And your mm-hmm. dad picked up on that saying also a big fan of the Smiths loves loves Johnny Mars work as a guitarist and such I actually texted your dad a couple days ago. Hey, here's a Johnny Marr album. You might listen to, mm-hmm. but are there any bands that your dad likes that you just cringe. Like if you're driving somewhere at wherever it might be, where it comes on and his eyes light up that he's super happy and feeling like he's 18 years old again. You're like, dude, this is the hottest of hot trash. Um, I'm trying to think, um, I mean, there's a lot of bands that we do like, like, like obviously I, I like the cure. I like the Smiths. Um, I like the Ramones. Like he, he kind of put me on the Ramones at a young age and Arctic Monkeys. And so there's a lot of bands that we do like maybe like flock of seagulls or something like that. I'm not really (laughs) (laughs) into, um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, if you got any, if any come to next time you're driving somewhere with them and some comes on, just text me. Cause you know, we want to give them as much crap as possible. All right, final question goes to our pal Duncan Idaho. Uh, says, which had a greater feeling of personal accomplishment standing atop the podium at Mid-Ohio on Sunday or standing atop Rossi's motor coach at Indy? Uh, also says, congratulations on win three. Looking forward to the 2021 
championship fight, hashtag Herd of Mania. I mean, that one's kind of out of the bag, right? You know, but uh, which one? Didn't... I think both held pride in their own way. Ooh. Um, you know, I think obviously winning at Mid-Ohio is awesome because my dad lived there for so long and drove for Bobby, so he's got a lot of fans that, that are out there still watching and um, has a lot of family out there too and a lot of people that he knows from, from living out there in the 90s. Um, but standing on top of Rossi's motorhome was amazing. Um, and, and the personal, the person, like just the accomplishment feeling of seeing him in the trailer the next day, so mad was the best thing in the world. He was so upset. And then somebody just like stole his golf cart keys the next day. And he was so mad about that too. And it just made it even better to just see him walking around the paddock, having to ask for rides. Oh, I mean, I I hope someone filmed a video or something. I want to know how the hell you got up there on top of the bus. I mean, well, and- the thing is, the the ladder is like one of those motorhome ladders where it's like half, and then the other half is in like the belly lockers. So I had to stand on top of like Connor's shoulders just to get up there, and I was dangling. <laughs> I was like dangling halfway up there, just holding on by one hand as he held me, gave me the tires, and I chucked them on top. And we were just hoping at this point that that. Peter Rossi wasn't staying in the motorhome still. That was what I was afraid out, of. Didn't, didn't come out all scared that some people were on top of this roof at 10 o'clock at night. Oh, man. But, all, I, all I can tell you is that was one of the best things I've seen in forever. Also, I don't know if you guys thought this far ahead, you and Daly might have to factor in budget-wise. This is going to hurt you financially. You might have to hire some 24-hour guards in and around your stuff next year at Indy. I mean, I look forward to retaliation. And Rossi, I mean, there's like a cold, dead-eyed aspect to that guy. Like, I don't know what he's going to do, but I feel for you and Daly because that he strikes me as a guy who will spend the rest of the year stewing and divide, seeing if he can get any contacts at yeah. CIA, FBI, you name it. Come up with something to get you. So. I- I still feel very safe at the moment just for the fact that I still stay in my dad's bus. Ooh. So he can't do he can't do anything to the bus. Collateral. He would get in a lot of trouble. And the thing is, I drive a I dr- I have a Civic Type R that Honda gives me um and in Indy. So it's they it's like a lease car that they just give us for for the year while we're driving for Honda. Um and I don't, to be honest, I don't really care what happens to that car. I drive it only when I'm in Indy and it's fully covered and insured and I'm not even on the registration. So he can do whatever he wants to that thing. Like maybe he can do something to my scooter, but I mean, even that you got to be careful because you don't want to, you don't want some guy breaking an arm on a scooter. So I feel like I'm, I'm in a powerful position here. He's got a lot more to lose. Look at that. You really have thought all this stuff through. Of course you have. Colton Herta, thanks for taking some time, my man. Always, truly, a lot of fun when we have you on. We learn a lot. We laugh. We Again, we just further refine the world's perfect taco. Um, It's nothing but happiness here. Thanks again, my man. Congrats on the win. And, yeah, tell the old man you're knocking on the door. Win number four, draw even. Win number five, he's he's in deep trouble. I got to get going because I got to go get some tacos now.